Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, John and Jackie. What a great reminder a great purpose to glorify God's name. I hope you have your Bible tonight. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, our series in the evening. Services have been kind of centered around biblical friendship. What does that mean, to be a biblical friend? I trust you've been following along with us. Last time we met together, we studied the great friendship that Jonathan and David had, and especially their loyalty to their covenant they made with God, all the way through life and even into their children, they had this family covenant that centered around their strength and love for Christ, God, Jehovah. Tonight we look at Philippians 3, kind of an interesting take on friendship, and I've entitled this, When Suffering Takes Your Hand. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, I turn your attention there, he says this, Paul speaking, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for, the, for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. I want you to understand verse 10 especially. Let's move right there. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Uh, there's a little phrase there I want you to see. It's an interesting phrase. I want to ask you if you're in the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's read the verse again, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship. We could say the fraternity of friendship that comes by knowing his sufferings, when sufferings, the sufferings of Christ, take your hand. God invites us into this very wonderful group of those that suffer his sufferings. Father, we commit our time to you. I pray you would be our instructor, our teacher. Help us to understand what it, what it means to suffer like Christ suffered, to know your heart, to understand your compassion, your zeal, your sorrows, your sufferings, and to join in in that wonderful friendship with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul, in the context here, is talking about how worthless his former life was as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In fact, he says, These, uh, there's a lot of things that I, I did in my past. I kept the law almost flawlessly. You can go back uh, to verse uh, 4. I, would, I have confidence. He said, I could have confidence in the flesh. If any man thinks where he might have trust in his flesh, I have more. He goes on to talk about his background a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, touching zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. Can any of you say this, that he says, touching the law, blameless. Wow. At least externally, it looked like Paul had it all together. A little phrase we use for people that really are the top of their game, they call them goat, right? Greatest of all times, Paul would be that of the Pharisees. He would be the best, right? Looking at Paul from the outside, he had it together. He kept every feast day exactly. He did everything according to the law on the outside. But that righteousness got him nowhere in terms of 
the righteousness of the heart. And he says, I, this is even more amazing to me. He says, all, verse 7, all these things that were considered gain to me, those I counted loss. Count all these things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know that Christ invites you to know him, not just in understanding salvation. He wants you to develop a deepening, ripening friendship with him. You can be the friend of God. You can. God wants you to know him, his will. He wants you to be his friend. As Enoch walked with God, God wants you to walk with him. And he extends an unusual hand to you in friendship, that I may know him and the fellowship of Before you draw your hand away, listen, the fellowship of his suffering. What does that word mean or that phrase mean? That I may know him. I'm glad I can know him. Sometimes the idea of following Christ sets us apart, especially when the Lord says, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross. There is something sweet about suffering like Christ suffered. What does that mean to develop a friendship? Well, friendship means what? Friendship is simply, or fellowship is simply the communion of close friends who share similar interests, similar experiences or problems. I told you about a man who got saved out of the Marines, and after he got saved and and, uh, I guess we don't or call them ex-Marines, they're always Marines, but when they left the service, left the military, he says, I, I, I do miss, Pastor, there's one thing I do miss, it's just sitting around, and he would say it, in the bar, hanging out with my buddies who went through the wartime experiences together. We had great fellowship. Well, it certainly wasn't Christ-centered, but there was a deep communion they had over shared experiences on the battlefield. As a Christian, you can share deeply with Christ if you understand his suffering. The things that make Christ grieve at heart, the zeal that he has in his heart, you can be a great friend of God. I want to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Anybody remember, this is a little quiz for us since it's Sunday night, anybody remember what uh, the Lord said to Ananias as, as... as on the road to Damascus, Paul was encouraged, what? He lost his sight, knocked off his horse. And then Ananias was that really that liaison that brings, that rescues Saul in a sense, and brings him to understanding of what Christ is doing in his life. The, the story is found in Acts 9, around 15. Here's what the Lord said. I want you to kind of finish the statement. You're a chosen vessel. He what Paul said, or the Lord said about Paul, he's a chosen vessel unto me. He's going to speak to kings, to Gentiles, to the children of Israel. And then I will show him what? Anybody remember that story? Talking to Ananias about Paul. I will show him how great what? How great things he must suffer in my name. Wow. It's like, Lord, I'm not sure I want to sign up for that. I like the the part about speaking before kings uh, to the broad Gentile race and even my people who Paul loved deeply. But Lord, that, that last part, the fellowship of your sufferings. Well, what does it mean to be in the 
close circle of friends that fellowship with his sufferings. Let me tell you, first of all, what it is, what it is not. It is not simply common irritations in life. I have fun with this a little bit. But the Lord isn't saying, bless all of your hearts who have common irritations in life. You're just like me. We all have our list, I suppose, of pet peeves. Do you have a pet peeve? We could spend the rest of our hour, right? Speaking about things that really irritate us, humanly speaking. Uh, I, I think of, of things that we all are irritated by. Bug bites, fire ants, flat tires, people who turn out right in front of you. It seems like they wait till your car gets about right there and boom, they're out in front of you. Or what about, uh, here's, here's one for me, it's just a personal thing. I, I hate cobwebs. And this is the time of year where they're everywhere especially if you live a little bit out in the country by trees. I don't know what it is. It's uh, every time I dr- get out in the morning and you're all ready for work and you, you just walk through, right, and they're right across your face. And they wrap you up and, and, and you're slapping yourself all over and you're untangling yourself. And then you, you sit down in your car and you wonder, where is the spider? <laughs> Am I the only... But that's a pet peeve for me. I just... I, for the rest, for the next couple hours, I'm trying to figure out where is that thing, anyway. But that's a pet peeve of mine, and others have other pet peeves. For me, another one would be pine straw that falls during the night on your windshield. I don't know why it is, but a pine straw has an unusual, uncanny capability of getting underneath your wipers. Have you noticed that? Falls gently from above during the night, lands on your windshield, and you turn your wipers on and try to get that rain, that mist in the morning off, and all those things are underneath your wiper. How does that happen? How do they have the... That's a pet peeve of mine, personally. There are other things that bother people. People who can't dim their headlights on time. Why do they all have to live on your road, right? People who run red lights, who don't signal a turn. Deer who eat up our garden stuff. It is deer season, by the way. We get to get even. Or... Here's one of my wife's pet peeves, irritation. She doesn't like people who sing in the morning. She does not like those kind of people. People who eat loudly or with their mouth wide open. That's the number one pet peeve for many people. Rude people, period. Well, this is not what Paul meant when we talk about the friendship of God's or Christ's sufferings. It also does not mean necessarily our sufferings physically. Obviously, he was a man that was acquainted with sorrow, acquainted with grief. He knows what it means to certainly have some of the hardships of life. But Paul is not speaking about that fraternity. He is not speaking about friendship with Christ that comes because Christ shares the experience. He is a high priest, the Lord is, who's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Lord knows. He was tempted in all points as you are, yet without sin. But that is not the specific meaning of his sufferings. You know something about your high priest, your heavenly high priest. He understands the things that you go through. He does. He's well equipped. Aren't you glad that he became a man? He understands where you hurt and how you hurt and how deeply you hurt. Think about it for a moment. He relates to financial hardship. He was born into poverty. Poor parents, hardworking mom and dad, but really they were 
uh, a family of obscurity, just a carpenter. He had nowhere to lay his head, the Bible says. And when it came time to pay his tax, he had to send one of his disciples fishing (laughs) so that he could pay the tax. He knows what it's like to be criticized and blamed, misunderstood by others. Christ feels that. He knows what it's like when we lose good friends. In fact, after sharing some hard truths in John 6, 67, he said to his disciples, he turns to them and says, will you leave me also? Many of them turned and walked away, said, will you leave me? Will ye also go away? He knows our physical pain and suffering. I don't know that many, although some have, uh, gone through the brutal torture of a crucifixion. Many have been martyred for their faith in difficult ways over the years. The history of, a, of Christendom, many folks like Christ have suffered. So Christ, in that context, Paul is not speaking necessarily about the sufferings that come through pain and hardships of life. But he knows all these things. He knows what it's like to be flattered and made fun of, demeaned, uh, demeaned and belittled. He knows what it means to be loved and hated. He was touched in all points with the feelings of our infirmities. But again, that is not what's meant by that little phrase, the fellowship of his sufferings. We need to hear Paul's prayer or his goal again to note the a fellowship not of my sufferings, but of his sufferings. You think about it for a minute. In our church prayer meetings, most of our prayers are a recital of our sufferings, right? Our sufferings. We pray for folks that are sick, and we have quite a few on the sick list. It changes a little bit, but many of them are ongoing needs. And the Bible is full of commands that we are to care for one another, pray for one another, lift one another up, help one another, love one another, serve one another, edify, exhort one another. There's a lot of suffering that we pray about that is our suffering. And that's as it should be. We should carry these burdens to the Lord in prayer. What a great privilege it is. How often, as a good friend, have you prayed not just for your own needs at the dinner table, but how often have you prayed for the needs of others? Paul is not speaking about that wonderful discipline and command to pray for one another here. He's saying, Lord, I want to be a friend of you because of the things that you suffer. Think about it for a moment. What caused Christ to suffer? It wasn't the little irritations of life. Yes, he felt our pain and suffered certainly physically, On the cross, during the persecution, he suffered just like we do in terms of criticism and rejection. He was a man rejected, a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. Isaiah tells us that. But this, again, is not what's in mind here. And I I know that the list I've made tonight is not exhaustive in the time remaining. Let's just look at a a few things that would would bring us to the place where we're in the, the inside group that understands that phrase, that I might know... Philippians 3.10, the fellowship, not of mine, but of his. So how to be a friend to God through suffering. 
Well, you will recall, first of all, uh, there was the fellowship that came when he uh, went to a funeral. Remember that? John chapter 11. How do we get close enough to Christ's face to see his emotional pain and difficult? It was not physical pain that he was most concerned about his own. It was spiritual issues. We'll talk about these tonight. In John eleven thirty two. if you want to turn there just to get the idea again of that uh, funeral service that he went to of his good friend Lazarus, Lazarus in Bethany. He goes there, of course, on purpose. He delays his, his trip to the, the place where they had told him that, uh, that his friend, his good friend Lazarus, was sick and nearly to die. And he, he told his disciples, we're going to just delay for a minute. <laughs> in fact, they waited two days before they left. And when they got there, in fact, even as they were going, it was already too late, so to speak. Lazarus had already passed away. In verse 37 of chapter 11, we read these words. And some of them said, Could not this man Jesus, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man, Lazarus, should not have died? The Lord has a wonderful purpose in being here at the funeral a little bit too late to raise him off the bed of affliction. He's going to do a mightier miracle than that, proving that he's the God of life and eternal life. And then verse 38, Jesus, hearing this, does what? Well, he suffers inside. The Bible says, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave, it was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Then he did that wonderful miracle of raising his dear friend from the dead, proving that he had the power over life in a sense of human life and resurrection from the dead as well as spiritual life. But there is this exchange between Martha and Jesus where she blames him. Lord, if you'd only been here a few minutes earlier, if you'd only been here a day or two ago, actually four days ago, when, when I sent the message, why didn't you come running? We know you have the And the Lord said, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou, thou this? And she said, What? Yes, I believe. I, I think that you have the power. I believe you're God. I think you are, at least. And I know that in the last day he will rise again. But it would have been great, Lord, knowing how much you loved my brother, if you could have been here and avoided this suffering in our, in our family. I think he suffers most when people don't believe his word. And he just wept, not because of the loss of a friend. <laughs> no, he, lo- he wept because of his good friends that didn't believe him or take him at his word or believe in the power that he had over death. He looked right at Martha and said, your brother will live again. And she kind of shrugged her shoulders and said, oh, I know. Someday he'll rise again, verse 23. I know, verse 24, that he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And all these wonderful words, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she even proclaims him as the Son of God. But in her heart, she she believed that he was able one day... (laughs) to give her brother eternal life, but not this moment. And Jesus 
seeing somewhat of the unbelief around him, even in those who were his great friends, suffered because of their unbelief. I wonder how many times as we read the Bible, we read it as an observer who really doesn't give God credit for who he is. We come to him with our problems, and here's what we say, just like Martha, Lord, yes, you're God, and here's my prayer that I offer to you, but certainly you can't do anything about this. It's beyond your ability. In fact, some of us don't pray at all because we don't really trust that God is who he says he is. Burial and resurrection He's provided for us eternal life, but he is God. His word is true, and it can be trusted at every point. But many just simply don't trust him. Another time he suffers is found in Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. Turn back a few pages to Matthew 23 tonight. This is another illustration of that, Matthew chapter 23. He's at the temple The Lord suffers when people don't take him at his word. Another time he suffers is here in Jerusalem. Chapter 23, verses 37. Beyond, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, that ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You're forced to believe at that time. He suffers when men harden their hearts in the face of his repeated attempts and overtures of love to draw them to him. He in this passage is addressing his disciples and many other temple officials. And he has many rebukes to offer them. Verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, for you're like whited sepulchers. On the outside you look dazzling, sparkling, glowing white, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You appear righteous, verse 28, but you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You've killed, you've built the tombs of the prophets in the New Testament. You build them and uh, you, you, you think they're so great. But you are the ones whose fathers killed them. Wherefore, 31, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, how straight God speaks to us. You generation of vipers, you see God suffering here. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send you a unto the prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge or whip in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, or the son of Jehoiada, whom ye slew as a martyr between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Can you see God's heart is so heavy when he cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Often I would have called out to you over the ages to come to me. I've given you the best, Isaiah chapter 5. I've given you the best vineyards, the best prophets, the best preaching, the best leaders and patriarchs. I've, 
I've showered you with my grace and blessing, but you were not willing, and my heart hurts for you. Your heart is so hard. How often I would have drawn you in, and he is suffering here because of the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the hardness of their hearts. Do you know anyone, including yourself, that at this moment is just building a wall around your heart and saying, Lord, I don't care what you say, what you do, I'm not letting you in. It is that attitude of hardness of heart that God just grieves over. So often, even to this night, dear friend, if that's you, God is crying out, won't you come before it's too late? One of the most serious charges he makes against these is hypocrisy. And he suffered greatly because of his religious leaders. To enter the fellowship of his sufferings, we too must be deeply offended by our own hardness of heart and those around us who carry the spirit of really uh, anger against God. I know a, a family member who is like this in our own family, extended family, and it isn't a thing where we just, Rob and I just talk about and say, well, you know, I guess we, we just... We just pray, I guess. That's all we can do. No, we have this fellowship uh, of suffering in the sense that we are grieved. And we trust God to do a great work, but it hurts us when there is this shell around the hearts of others. Thirdly, Jesus suffered at the condition of lost sheep in Israel. It, it wasn't physical pain that the Lord was most upset about in his life. In fact, you, you never hear him complain about the tough circumstances of life, the hardships and irritations. It is about the spiritual condition of those around him. You know the story well, Matthew nine thirty six. But when he saw the multitudes, he was what? Moved with compassion. I heard a preacher one time ask his congregation, have you ever been moved with compassion for anyone outside of perhaps a swollen ankle that you had? Have you ever been moved with compassion? He said a doctor he had told him that he was going to have to take a shot in his eye for a condition that he had. And he looked at us and he said, for the first time, <laughs> I was moved. He said, I had prayed for others who went through that operation <laughs> or that procedure, but now I was moved. He said, when the doctor pulled out that needle, I was really moved. Do you know that we can preach and teach and talk about and learn Bible verses all of our lives, but to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, we need to be moved with compassion at the condition. Do you know that every lost man, boy, girl, woman 
If they don't come to Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. That needs to move us. We hear that over and over again. But dear friend, I want you to know this. If you're in the congregation tonight and you're, you're just kind of playing around with God and taking it in, but you've never come to a place where you put your faith and trust in God, the Bible is clear there are only two destinations of man, heaven or hell, and it is eternal. And the fact that around us, on your street and mine, live people that will spend eternity in one of two places, and if it's hell, there ought to be a sense of compulsion in us that moves us. He looked at them, and they were as sheep without a shepherd, spiritually speaking. No one to love them, no one to care. And to enter into the fellowship of the things that grieve the Lord is to understand that that moved him. Moved him in such a way that he went to the lost. He delegated teams to go to the lost. And he commands us to go into all the world because he is moved by those that still continually reject or those that don't know him. Lastly, and there, this list is not exhaustive. The things, what a great study it would be. The things that caused Christ's heart to suffer. But you're all familiar with this a wonderful time, a very poignant time in God's life, Christ's life. He was moved, the prospect of being the sin bearer, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Let's just end our thoughts tonight in that particular passage just as a reference point. Luke chapter 22. He's coming to the end of his earthly ministry and uh, he is in the garden and he takes the uh, inner circle with him, his disciples Peter, James, and John, he says, come with me. He says, in a sense, I want you to suffer with me. I want you to watch with me. Remember what they did promptly? They did what? They fell asleep. And he comes back and he rebukes them and he says, what? Could you not watch with me one hour as the weight of the sin of the world was upon him the disciples were asleep. They had not entered into the friendship of his sufferings. They weren't being, at that moment at least, good friends to Christ. Often we think of God in that situation, God the Son, as being perhaps a tad fearful. We know God doesn't fear anything. Or at least a little apprehensive about the coming brutality and pain of the cross. Anticipating the torture the cross, and we, we, we know we've been through enough Easter services and Good Friday services to know what that entailed to, a, to, a, to an extent. But the Lord was clear in the book of Hebrews, it was for the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross, anticipating, of course, His glorification and the rescue of lost sinners. But you can't be a partaker in that scene, Christ's suffering, unless you understand a little bit about what was going on there. It was not about the cross, that Christ was kind of melting, in a sense. His tears were, as it were, great drops of blood. It wasn't because of his fear of the cross or his fear of torture or his aversion to pain. How many of our prayers 
Lord, would you bring me relief from pain or the prospect of pain? I don't want to go through that. No, that was not what Christ was sweating great drops of blood about. What do you reckon it was? We're talking about being a friend with God in his sufferings. He thought about the weight of your sin and mine. We cannot share in the atonement side of the cross. We just can't. That was his job to complete and him alone. But he wanted his friends there close to pray for him, with him, in that hour of trial because for the first time in eternity, there was going to be this short period of time where the father, because he was a sin bearer, would turn his face away. And he would be, in a sense, disfellowshipped for that season of time where God took this cup. And when he said, let this cup pass from me, the cup meant a lot of things in the Bible. It could be the cup of joy, blessing, covenant, fellowship. But here, it was spoken of in Isaiah 57 and other places. It was the cup of God's wrath. And he was going to drink it to the full, not because of anything he had done, but for the sin of the world. And he wanted his friends around to pray that he would be sustained by the same Father that was putting him to death, sustained by his Father in heaven. When we understand the great high price of sin and how it hurts the Lord when we sin and the cost of sin and the price of sin and the price of redemption, when we understand that, I think it not only helps us with our own pure living, but it helps us understand how much God hates it. As he drank the cup of our sin and became the target of God's wrath, he looked at his friends, his closest friends, and said, I wish you would pray. Enter in, be the friend that I need, and understand the high cost of redemption. When we understand how much God hates sinfulness and sins, we understand what it is to suffer. I wonder. I wonder. I, I wonder this in my own life. When it comes to sin, all of us are experts, amen? How much does it hurt us to sin? When we understand how much it hurt him, bear our sin, we have a different spirit. And Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. I want to hate sin like you hate it. I want to hate hardness of heart like you hate it. I want to love people and suffer when I see them outside of the reach of the gospel. So again, as we close, we enter into the fellowship of His sufferings when we grieve over unbelief at His promises, when we are pained in our hearts at the hardness of those who reject Christ and our own departures, when we suffer deeply 
at the lost condition. And we are moved, as he was, moved to tears. And when we grieve over the high cost he paid for our sins or the weight of our own redemption, we enter into the fraternity, the fellowship of not ours, but his sufferings. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.